0: Well, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us once again on our adventure through the book of Exodus. This is a journey from captivity to covenant, about slaves becoming sons and daughters of the living God. It's about a people chosen by grace to be God's treasured possession, through whom every nation on earth will ultimately be blessed through Jesus Christ. So we're caught up in this. This is our story, too. We left things last week on the beach. Always a good place to be, from my perspective. And there, on the shores of the Red Sea, there was one almighty praise party following the great deliverance by the hand of God. Do you remember those times? Do you remember when we used to gather in hundreds and thousands? Let me tell you, those days are coming again. Let me tell you that next year is a COVID conquering year. We're going to get back into that place of doing the thing that we will do throughout eternity, which is to praise the name of the Lord. And Ginny reminded us last week that there is no one like our God, mighty to save and deliver, and we should declare his salvation and his goodness daily if only we could stay on the beach but we can't and this week we pick up the next bit of the journey as the liberated people of God set out for the promised land or do they? Ginny is going to read to us from Exodus 15 verses 22 to 27 so why don't you get your Bibles out and we'll read it together.
1: Then Moses led Israel from the Dead Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place was called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water.
0: Three days, that's all it takes to move from glory to grumbling. For some of us, even less. This week, I had one of those moments. Tea time, just dishing up. Just had had a great little FaceTime catch up with our grandson. Got our daily praise list blasting out through the speakers. Looking forward to tucking into our bangers and mash with my silky smooth potato and tasty gravy. When I notice my foot in a puddle of water. Looking down, I realise that the waters of the Red Sea are now flowing out of our cupboard under the kitchen sink. Forget the sausages. We spent the next half hour stemming the flow and emptying out a soggy cupboard that had become a pretty unattractive water feature. I can tell you that any praise that had been on my lips soon disappeared. And it's probably best left untold what was going through my head. Do you know, that happens so frequently to us all. And it's certainly what happened to the Israelites. Let's pick up the story in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. Although it says Moses is leading the people, they were actually following the pillar of cloud and fire, which were symbols of the Lord's presence and guidance. This was God's doing, he was leading them. What's also really significant, is that this is the wrong way to the promised land? It's one of those Satnav moments at the next Wadi, do a U turn. At the best, it's certainly the long way home. So, why on earth is God leading them into the desert? Well, you know, there's a biblical life lesson for us to learn here. Great moments of triumph and breakthrough in our walk with God will always be put to the test. You see, the victory of the Red Sea is followed immediately by the testing of the desert at Mara, or bitterness. Does that remind you of anybody? We're actually in really great company here. Because go into the New Testament and get to Jesus. And Jesus, after he's baptised and affirmed by his Father, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. Guess what? Immediately, is driven by the same Holy Spirit into the desert to be tested. Wow. So why does God test us? Well, firstly, because faith and trust in God are only shown genuine when they have been tested through the realities of life faith has to be proven in the crucible of adversity come on church it's easy to sing when it's all going your way I know some still don't but you know when things are going well it's so easy to sing the praises of God it's much easier to sing on the beach than in the desert but secondly For God, the journey is as important as the destination. Our Heavenly Father is not primarily concerned about getting us to do things for him, as if he needs that, or even getting us to places and fulfilling destinies. No, he's primarily concerned about the making of men and women of God. He's about refining our character and forming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus. He wants us to be who we truly are in him, not some transparent, fake, inauthentic alternative. So guys, it's not just what we do, it's the way that we do it. Our attitudes and heart responses are as vital to the Lord as any exploit done in his name. The Lord looks at the heart. So when God tests, as is mentioned in verse 25, you can read it there yourself. This isn't God trying to trip us up. It's not a test he wants us to fail. It's not some stern school teacher setting the hardest exam that we can ever do. No, no, the word is more like getting us to exercise a muscle, our faith muscle, and through that to step into greater intimacy, greater encounter and greater breakthrough with him. You see, ultimately the testing is to increase our knowledge of him, our love for him and our obedience to him. And all this for his glory. That's what it's about. So for three days, the Israelites travel in the desert without water. It's not a small thing, is it? When there might be possibly millions with little ones and livestock. And then, of course, they eventually come to a water hole at Mara but their expectations are shattered. They can't drink this water because it's bitter. And in a moment, the blessing of the Red Sea is forgotten. Disappointment and hopelessness set in and the grumbling begins. All happens so quickly. Mara is truly a bitter place. And you know, we too know the pain the hurt and the sorrow of bitter situations in our lives. We all know what it's like to be let down by others. Oh, and by the way, we'll let others down too. Maybe we've known the pain of the failure of a relationship. Makes us bitter. When so-called friends turn on you and walk away, or stick the knife in your back. Being made redundant or losing your job. Failing an exam or not getting through that interview. Losing a loved one, oh man. Facing an illness or a financial need and there seems no way through it. It's wretched virus and its consequences. It's made life bitter for so many. And do you know what? Such testing can rub the smile off our faces. It can steal our joy, even make us age. And maybe some of you know these things even now. Maybe you've been through them, and you know the bitterness that they can cause. Listen, I want to give you hope today. This is God's invitation to trust him again. For the sweetness of his breakthrough. Sadly, the Israelites got it wrong. Instead of turning to God, they allowed the bitter situation to turn them bitter. And they began sticking the boot into Moses with grumbling and blaming him for bringing them into the desert to die. How quickly we do the same. I'll come back to more of that in a moment. But you know, Moses gets it right. In that bitter place, we read, he cried out to the Lord. And in that moment, God shows him a piece of wood, a tree. And he throws the tree into the water and the water becomes sweet. And in a moment, the Lord turns a bitter place into a miracle of provision, releasing his sweet grace into their lives. Hallelujah, what a saviour he is. And he can do that in our lives. And we can't help but be drawn in this moment to another piece of wood that becomes the provision of God's sweet grace and healing to us in our pain and our bitterness. This points to the cross on which the perfect, sinless Son of God died to transform our lives. We read in Hebrews 12 that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He did it for you. He did it for me. On the cross, Jesus' death and suffering in our place has brought God's grace to us. Here, our bitter experiences can be transformed by that amazing, sweet grace. Here alone, our defeats can be turned into triumphs. Our despair into hope and confidence. And here's the miracle. Even our grumbling into thanksgiving and praise. Hallelujah. And if you're locked into that place, there is release. There is sweetness for your bitterness. And it's found in Jesus. And he would invite you to come to him right now with all your pain, with all your sin, and lay it before him. There is sweetness in exchange for bitterness. I just want to give us a moment. just want to pause. I just want to welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, powerfully come into our lives right now. Whoever's watching, just touch them. Just bring that sweetness of your presence into the bitterness and pain. Come and light the fire of hope. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and do it right now. Amen. So, what are we to learn from all this? Very quickly. Point one. Do cry out to God. Let Moses' response be our response when we hit those bitter moments don't forget he's there he's here so many of the psalms teach us how to do this they're great to read especially right now psalm 120 verse 1 says this i took my troubles to the lord i cried out to him and he answered my prayer isn't that great It is before God that we can be honest and bring our deepest emotions, including our anger and disappointment. He can handle it. It's before him we should primarily bring our complaints and our grief. But you know, it's also the place we can ask for his solutions, not just spiritual things, things that impact our everyday life. And do you know what he will provide? He wants to do that far more than we understand. I'm just reminded of so many times in my life where that's happened. A few years ago, a group of us were in Malawi. We'd been there nearly two weeks. It was a time when there was only one flight in and out of Malawi. We were on that flight. And then as we went to book our seats on the way back just to confirm that they were there, we were told we were no longer on that flight. I tell you what, in that moment, some of us had got young families we had been away for a long time, and we were just desperate to get back. And it was just like, oh my word. And I remember us all gathering together in a huddle and just praying together. And in that moment, we just cried out to God, Lord, please have mercy, do something here. Come and, come and step in. And even though at that moment, nothing changed, we just knew that God had broken in. We went out and did what we were doing that day. And later on, when we came back, there'd been a phone call. And by some miracle, we have been found up to say that we were now on that flight. And it was a miracle because we know that there were many others who didn't make it. God stepped in. My brother has an amazing story to tell. Just maybe about 12 months ago, he and his wife were in London and um, a, a wallet in the rucksack, which they got some money in, which they were using to spend for the day, got stolen. All the money went and there they are in London, stranded. And they're just there and they're crying out and saying, Lord. And at that moment, my brother is aware of all this litter blowing around. And um, suddenly he's aware of something blowing at his feet. As he looks down, there's 20 pound notes. The Lord had blown 20 pound notes in the wind. You see, the truth is, our God is a God of miracles. And... This faith in desperation, crying out to him, releases the resources of heaven in wondrous ways. Faith in these testing times is the seedbed of signs and wonders. Miracles are birthed from this place. Come on, church, let that faith be reignited in us. I reckon we've gone a bit sleepy here. We need to wake up with this. Point two, don't grumble. In verse 24 and in the following chapters, we're going to read a lot of of a nasty habit that the people of God are very quick to fall into when testing times come. Grumbling. And what is shocking is that we're told in chapter 16 that grumbling is ultimately against God. The people thought they were grumbling or complaining at Moses and Aaron, but they were grumbling against God. Church, that should sober us all up. On the surface, the Israelites question seems legitimate. What are we to drink? But clearly the attitude underlying it was sinful. How many more miracles did they need to see from God to know that he could sort this and he is faithful to his word? We're the same. We need to think what we're doing when complaint comes from our lips. I've been asked many times, What's the difference between grumbling and complaining and, we like this phrase, constructive criticism? Is there a place for constructive criticism? Well, here's some questions that would be good to ask. What's the attitude that's accompanying your constructive criticism? Does it have God's heart? Is what you're about to unleash, is it building up? Or is it tearing down? Is it blaming someone? Are you just looking for someone to rant at? That probably means it's not good. Is it to the right person? Do you know what? Often the person that needs to hear it is the last person to hear it. And everybody else hears about it before the person who probably needs to hear it does. That's wrong. And is there a willingness to be part of the solution as well as point out the problem? Have you noticed how easy it is to point out the problem all around us right now? Grumbling is a nasty trait of our society. It's wrong and we must not do it. Let's just ask God to forgive us for such things. We're we're guilty of it all, let it go. Point three don't become bitter or cynical. Hebrews 12, which is a great commentary to read alongside this passage, says in verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's often said, testing makes us better or bitter. Sadly, many become bitter disillusionment sets in it starts first of all with those around us and then maybe our leaders maybe our co-workers and then we become cynical and before long we don't trust anyone not even God I have to say this I have not yet met anybody who is disillusioned with people or maybe church who has not eventually become disillusioned with God my friends, it's a dangerous place to be. So I just want to ask are you there? Come on, not a good place. It's God's kindness that we can repent from this and we can step back in to trusting Him. Point four, keep obeying God, even when it's tough. In verse 26, God promises great blessing and deliverance to the Israelites if they. Listen to him and do what is right in his sight. If they pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees. What an amazing promise it is. And they even get a brand new revelation of who God is. I am the Lord who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. Amazing promise. Could have spent a lot more time on that. But listen, obedience is important to our Heavenly Father. In times of testing... It's tempting to step back from obedience, to find comfort in things outside of Jesus. Are some of you there? It's almost as if we say to ourselves, well, I'll go easy on myself because I'm under pressure. If God's not doing it my way, I kind of do what I want. But you know, that's testing God. That's putting him on probation, holding him at bay until he proves himself to us. If you're there, time to come back, time to change. God looks for us to stay faithful to him, not compromising his ways, but still using our gifts and our abilities for his use and glory. You know, this is the great thing. Our gifts can be used even when we're struggling. God sometimes does his greatest miracles when we're feeling broken and and bruised and battered. Have you backed off? God would call you to live his way and not compromise his best for you. And finally, point five. No, he cares for you. It could be so easy for you to go away from this message today just hearing, don't grumble. If you do that, you've missed something even bigger. He cares for you, even when fail him. This passage speaks most loudly about God's grace and provision to a grumbling complaining people. He remains loyal to them. As Charles Spurgeon the great Baptist preacher said, it is the wonder of mercy that the Lord puts up with us. He does more than put up with us. He cares for us. He loves us. And here God makes to this grumbling people, this this people that are not grateful at all, he makes water sweet. He reveals himself as healer. And then he leads them to Elim, a five star resort with springs and palm trees in the middle of the desert, a place of refreshing, healing, and restoration. What an amazing God! What an amazing father he is. God cares for us. He cares for you. He cares for me. Even when we fail the test. Isn't that amazing? But you know that care and that love is to lead us into fresh faith. Into the knowledge that he will always remain faithful. It's a fresh invitation to change and grow and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Come on, church. Time for us to go again. Time for us to celebrate the goodness of God. Just as Ginny reminded us last week, we need to keep declaring his praises. We need to keep declaring his truth because it builds that muscle of faith. I just want to... Finish with these words from a song that's been on my brain all week. It's from Elevation Worship. It's called Graves into Gardens. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one can. May we live in the truth of that this week. The Lord bless you. Let's just take a moment. just want to invite you to stand, or maybe kneel. Just come into that place. Lord, right now, we thank you that your testing is never to fail us. Your testing is an invitation. For us to grow and to know you more and my prayer right now is that you would take these moments and that you would transform us where bitterness has set in we pray lord that you would remove it from us with the sweetness of your grace pray lord jesus that you would set us free from grumbling and complaining attitudes god make us thankful let us sing your praises And Father, from that desperate place, I pray, let there be an overflow of miracle signs and wonders that will transform the world around us for your glory and for your honour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.